Treating the bubonic plague became a medical specialty during the first widespread outbreak of the disease in the 14th century. The Black Plague, as it is also known, has made a comeback from time to time, and during its second major assault on Western Europe, plague doctors adopted the famous robe, mask, and hat combo that one associates with the plague. Medical treatment for the bubonic plague by medieval doctors and their early modern counterparts didn't vary too much. But the plague doctor outfit of the 17th and 18th centuries did reflect a new approach to dealing with the disease. The doctor is in. Welcome, friends, to a brand new October Madness episode. We've made it to the penultimate episode. And today, we're going to look at the Plague Doctors. (laughs) The plague called for an entirely new type of doctor. There were several types of doctors in the medieval world. Physicians were individuals who had received some sort of university training, while surgeons lacked a formal education and were therefore considered inferior. Surgeons were often associated with barbers who were allowed to let blood and pull teeth. Apothecaries were responsible for dispensing drugs, or during the Middle Ages, herbs, sweets, and perfumes. There were also knowledgeable women who were familiar with natural remedies and produced potions, salves, and tonics in their homes. During the outbreak of the plague, a new type of doctor was developed. There were specific physicians who became known as plague doctors, specializing in preventing and treating the plague. They were hired by villages during the 14th century epidemic and throughout the next four centuries whenever the plague would pop back up. Plague doctors started wearing those creepy outfits long after the Middle Ages. During the 17th century, plague doctors started wearing uniforms in an effort to protect themselves from their patients. Charles de Lhomme came up with the concept of the long, dark robe worn with boots, gloves, and a hat in 1619. The idea was to keep the physician's entire body covered. The outer layer of the costume was made of goat leather and often coated in wax. Underneath, the doctor wore a blouse that tied to his boots. Plague masks were all about smelling the roses. The infamous plague masks were actually associated with air purity. During the 17th and 18th centuries, the idea that the air could be polluted became widespread and doctors sought to prevent bad air, or miasma, from getting to them. Eye holes were fitted with glass pieces so doctors could still see, 
and the long noses on the mask were filled with drugs mm, and aromatic herbs, including mint, camphor, cloves, straw, laudanum, rose petals, and myrrh to filter the air. The herbs also helped with the smell, considering that the dead bodies and lanced buboes that doctors dealt with were rather pungent. Plague doctors used canes so they could be more hands-off. The canes that plague doctors carried served a few practical purposes. Doctors could use them to poke and prod a patient that was laying on the ground without having to touch them directly. And they may have been used to keep family members at bay or to protect themselves from desperate patients. They could also be used to communicate to their helpers where a body needed to go after a patient died. Plague doctors treated everyone because everyone got the plague. Wealth certainly offers greater access to health care. That hasn't changed much. But during the Middle Ages, plague doctors were hired by towns and villages to treat everyone. Since the location was paying them, not the individual, all sick people were provided with the same medical care. For example, when Giovanni de Ventura served as a community plague doctor in Pavia in 1479, he received a monthly payment, a furnished house, local citizenship, and living expenses from the city. He didn't charge the patients, but he could take payments from individuals if they offered. Common treatments were not pleasant. Medieval medicine was based around the idea that the human body had four humors that needed to be in balance. Blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile were to be balanced with the help of diet, herbs, natural medicine, and if things got too far out of whack, blood would be removed from the body entirely, hence bloodletting. In terms of plague treatments, doctors typically stuck with what they knew and tried to remove the toxic imbalance from the body by bloodletting their patients. They also lanced, rubbed toads on, or leached the buboes to try to remove the sickness. Sex was prohibited too, but that rarely stuck. Personally speaking, if I knew eminent death was around the corner, I would want to go out with a bang. Even if that meant having a bit of vanilla sex. Oh my. The treatments got worse the sicker a person got. Sometimes patients would be told to drink their own urine or consume medicines made from eggshells, marigolds, and treacle. Treacle? Treacle? Treacle. Doesn't matter. Patients would also be rubbed with onion, garlic, butter, arsenic, or flower petal compounds, or even be advised to rub animal parts on their body to try to eliminate the illness. Frogs, snakes, and pigeons were particularly popular if they were nearby. Once buboes were lanced, they were then often rubbed with a mixture of tree sap, flower petals, and human excrement. Mm. As a person near death, they could even be coated in mercury and baked in an oven for a while. There were also techniques to induce diarrhea to try to drive out whatever evil had taken over the body. Treatments also included making God happy. 
During the Middle Ages, the belief was that bad things happened because God was dissatisfied with humanity. This meant that people needed to make amends. As a result, self-flagellation became a common treatment for the plague. Individuals would often whip themselves in order to atone for whatever sins had brought about the disease. In fact, there were entire groups of flagellants dedicated to the practice. But when a person couldn't whip themselves sufficiently, or were already sick and too weak, they often asked the plague doctors to do it for them. Plague doctor hats were used for identification. While the plague doctor needed to be protected from head to toe, the hats themselves were actually used to indicate that a person was in fact a doctor. The hats were symbolic than functional, though it's possible that the wide brim did manage to keep some bacteria away. Plague doctors served as record keepers and record watchers. One of the most beneficial contributions made by plague doctors was the sheer volume of detailed information they kept about their patients. Plague doctors kept registers of the number of victims for public records, documented people's last wishes, and often testified for and witnessed wills being sorted. Their service to the public went beyond just medical care. They did autopsies, which were more common than you'd think. The medieval period isn't really known for its medical advancements, but people at this time were often more informed than you'd think. In addition to the wide amount of information available on the plague, thanks to Jewish and Arab sources, bodies were often dissected in order to yield forensic and anatomical information. In the 13th century, the papacy banned the destruction of a body, but what that actually meant is still debated. Regardless, during the plague, plague doctors were tasked with autopsying bodies to determine the cause of death and try to understand the mysterious illness that was killing so many people so quickly. Plague doctors were probably pretty lonely. Plague doctors were necessarily separated from the rest of the population of a town or village where they were tending to patients. This was to protect the doctor as well as the healthy citizens alike. Giovanni de Ventura, according to his contract, was only allowed to move about the city when he was accompanied by an escort, unless he was seeing patients. After a period of serving as a plague doctor, the physician would then spend at least 40 days in isolation. However, generally speaking, plague doctors lived their lives under quarantine due more to social stigma than anything else. While I was researching for this particular episode, I actually came across this Airbnb experience. Um, I don't know why my my um, Airbnb thing is in French, but anyway, it says, Suivez un médecin de peste à travers Prague. So what it means is follow a plague doctor um, 
throughout Prague, right? And I find this absolutely fascinating because it's a virtual experience. And it says, step back into time and virtually experience the empty streets of uh, Prague, sorry, during the Black Death and plagues of the 17th and 18th century. Um, it continues to say, through the video, we'll follow the footsteps of Dr. Alexander Schma. Shamsky, an unknown Czech hero who fought the plague in 1713. I'm actually going to put this up um, on our Facebook page so that you can have a look at this. But in all honesty, if if I were traveling, which I am not, I have not traveled since 2019, but uh, I would love to actually do this, not virtually, but actually go to Prague and follow this plague doctor around. And I'll be like, show me plague doctor what was happening in this beautiful city, like in the 14th, 17th and 18th century. I mean, these are the kind of things I live for. So let me know if you would be interested in actually doing this kind of walking tour through the like medieval streets of Prague. I mean, maybe one day we can all meet up and actually do this. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode regarding the notorious Plague Doctor. Um, if you're following us throughout social media, you would have seen the Plague Doctor memes I've been posting and also the pictures of myself in the Plague Doctor mask that I've been posting on my personal Instagram page, on you know Beauty Unlocks Instagram page, on Facebook. Um, it's a great it's a great mask, but let me tell you, I, I, it gets hot. That's all I have to say. It gets hot. I get sweaty. It's just a mess. Anyway, <laughs> if you um, aren't following us throughout social media, then what are you doing? Check us out on Facebook and on Instagram. We're at Beauty Unlocked the Podcast. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us at Beauty Unlocked the Podcast. And last but not least... If you're enjoying Beauty Unlocks content, then consider becoming a patron for as low as $3 a month and you'll get access to extra goodies. So check us out um, and check out our tiers at patreon.com forward slash beauty unlocked. With all that being said, this weekend we will be releasing our final October Madness episode. It's either going to be on Saturday or Sunday for Halloween, not too sure yet. But either way, don't forget to tune in to listen to our final October Madness episode where we're going to be bidding farewell to my favorite month of the year. I'm not too sure what all of you will be doing to celebrate Halloween or Samhain, but whatever you do, make sure to stay safe, wear your mask, practice social distancing, and try not to get sick from eating too much chocolate. And if you are going trick-or-treating, I'm not too sure if trick-or-treating is still on because we are in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Blessed, not forget. But if you are going trick-or-treating, get me some of those Reese's Pieces. Anything Reese's, just, just send it over to me because I am a Reese's Pieces fiend. I'm Carissa Vickis. Reminding you to send me your Halloween candy. Ha 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 